0: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
1: Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your Day 8 Australian Open podcast. It's Pride Day at the Australian Open or at was Pride Day until an hour and 22 minutes ago, because that's when the day ended. It's not when the tennis ended. Obviously, the tennis went on beyond midnight, and that was with the second night session match or the second scheduled night session match being moved to the second court. More on that later. Spoiler alert, there will be... There will be a rant, um, but I, I shouldn't start with a rant because it's been it's been a great day of tennis, a great evening of tennis. We had two absolute thrillers. They happened to be spread across across two courts. We had Fritz against Sizapass on the Rod Laver Arena, and on on the second court we had Arena Sabalenka and Kaya Kanepi. And we had some some really good matches in the day session as well. And we'll be drilling down into all of it with. Matt, and myself in Melbourne, David in Solihull. Um, I wanted to start by by covering Pride Day a little bit. Matt and I have have had our wristbands on. In fact, courtesy of lovely Cedric, friend of the pod and uh, listener and giver of gifts, Matt and I have four wristbands and we've been told that they are much coveted, David. We we were each wearing one today, one rainbow wristband each, and... um, Two the people on the media reception said, oh, you managed to score yourself a wristband. Those are in high demand. And Matt goes, oh, yeah, we've got four, actually.
2: <laughs> now we know why oh, no, they're no. hard to find.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're just hoarding them and we'll, we'll pop them all on eBay at the end of the tournament. Um, so, yeah, th- thanks to Cedric, we've got our wristbands, we've got our Pride fans, which have been dual purpose today, quite frankly. Don't worry, I got all of my ranting about how hot it is in before we started recording david's had to listen to an earful earful yeah. of me complaining about it, the heat it's very
3: much not hot uh here i can <laughs> promise you there's no issue with heat uh, in Solihull, catherine if you'd like to change places at any point <laughs>
1: Well, I did have to have a cold shower before recording this podcast for, for everyone's sake, for definitely for the sake of my mood. Anyway, that's all out of the way. No further complaining about the heat. So we've had our Pride fans, we've had our wristbands, and the Australian Open went very big on Pride Day today. And in fact, they've gone very big on equality. They've had this sort of, they've had this campaign around, haven't they, with, with Ash Barty featuring very prominently in it, um, you know, just not explicit, explicitly re- referencing gay rights or pride, but, you know, the messaging being about equality. Um, but it still remains the case that they have somebody, the second stadium at this tournament is named after a very strong and vocal advocate against equality and that is extremely problematic i wanted to read out um an email we've received from a listener whose name i'm going to pronounce as jorge boyas and matt's given me a thumbs up so away i go that's Uh, the happiest i've seen you look all
3: day catherine
1: and it's good because i'm going to have to say his name again because he starts with hello my name is jorge boyas uh he says you've probably seen me pestering the uh ttp twitter timeline this aussie open uh he's a relatively new listener i'll i'll skip the bits where he says lovely lovely things about the show but thank you uh jorge uh for your kind words he says part of the reason why i tweet at you so much is because i have so much to say but no one to say it to um but we're very grateful to receive this communication from you. He says, Day 8 has just started in Australia, but I'm already disappointed in the tournament's Pride Day efforts on social media. Specifically, the first two tweets they've posted, uh, the second one of which uh, the Tennis Podcast has retweeted, my identity as a gay man who's been at least questioning his sexual orientation since five years old, gives me a perspective that makes me view their words differently than a lot of other people. This is what life is all about, different perspectives. But unity only works if we actually consider those perspectives. From my view, the video they posted that the tennis podcast has retweeted feels like a slap in the face. Half the video is spent telling us to enjoy the tennis. There is no mention of the LGBTQ plus community by name. And I don't understand why they are all thanking us for our support, the LGBTQ Plus, community does not support the sport of tennis as a political block, as far as I know. If I want to get into semantics, quote, see you around is just a throwaway line. Nobody can look lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or any other identity on the gender, gender expression and gender orientation spectrums. But it's not semantics. The point my community has been trying to make for decades is that anyone can be a part of this community. And it's an example of how little thought was put into the words given to and or thought of by those players, it speaks to the hollow nature of these Pride Day efforts. Um, And again, he makes the point about Margaret Court's name uh, still being on the stadium, there being no openly gay players on the ATP tour. And he says, everyone walks around saying, I have no idea why a gay person would be made to feel uncomfortable about their sexuality by the ATP um, he says, these are only a few issues that need to be of concern by those actually committed to being allies. Until these issues are mentioned in serious detail by this tournament, their prior day efforts should not be considered as enough. Tolerance is not enough anymore. Um, and my goodness me, there's there's so much to get into there, a lot of nuance, a lot of detail and a lot to be considered. And uh, I really appreciate that, Jorge. I mean, ultimately... Ultimately, this tournament is in a very tricky position, I believe, because of the name of that second court, and they're 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 backed into a corner. And it's pretty clear, I think, um, that the name of that court is not going to change. They've no intention of changing that name, and in, and in, and while that name remains on the court, everything might feel a bit hollow and a bit like empty gesturing. Um, as 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 lovely as some of the things that were done today were, you know, the Rod Laver Arena was lit up in rainbow colours tonight and that was fantastic. And it really did feel like a genuine commitment to to Pride Day today. But it's a problematic situation for this tournament, I think.
2: Yeah, there's always going to be a tension on a Pride Day when you have, well, I'm just going to say it, uh, a known outspoken homophobe on the name of the second court. Um, Until that is changed, a day like this won't feel completely what it could be, what it should be, what everyone hopes it to be, I think. Um, So I really want to say thanks to Jorge for sending us that message and sharing his experience. That's really important, I think. And as you say, a lot of it really did resonate with us. I think the videos they put up could have had more introspection. Not even using the word gay in the script, for example, makes it sound a bit shallow, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I can talk about my experience on site today at Melbourne Park. And it was, it was. A really good vibe on site today you know it was great mm. seeing so many pride flags i do think a lot of thought and attention and detail had gone into a lot of activities around the site we didn't see a lot of them because we were in in the media in, center the air conditioning of, in the air conditioning but you know you could get tattoos there were shows Hang there on, were... you could get
1: i could get a tattoo yeah wow um, a memento <laughs> a memento <laughs> of the trip
2: and you know I think we saw a lot of fans with pride flags and wearing rainbow colours and over this tournament we've seen Kokonakis wearing the rainbow wristbands we've seen Liam Brody wearing the laces my- Elise
1: Aikourne's team are all wearing the wristbands today they managed to score a haul of wristbands as well. Yes, absolutely my take on this
2: is that we have to, uh, yes, I agree, it isn't enough. Um, There should be more, but you, you have to learn to, I think, accept small progress along the way and... This didn't exist at the Australian Open before today, so it's you know it's progress that it that it exists now. Can it be better? Yes. Should it be better? Yes. Should all tournaments have it? Should all Slams have it? Yes. I think absolutely. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot more work to be done, but I ultimately see today as a win. Really, I, I, I think we can't we can't be too harsh on it because there were a lot of good things done. I think today.
1: mm. Yeah, I, d- I felt
2: I, I felt safe. I felt seen. I felt included. You know, all of that.
1: Hmm. It was a good vibe, wasn't it? It was a very good vibe. Hmm. I
3: mean, I find that very interesting to listen to. Both Hawke's email, which I read myself earlier on today, b- before you decided to include it in today's show, and I'm really glad you did because it, it makes me think. Think about things. I, I have my own reaction to to to, to things uh, upon seeing them. Then I hear you talk about them. I see other people talk about them, and then I read that, and it it all helps me to understand things that I feel like I need to try to understand. And just on the sort of the, the small wins along the way, ending up hopefully in a, a place where you feel like proper progress is made and where you want to end up being. I I remember being at the Australian Open the year. That, that court was first introduced and named, and i don 't really remember anything in terms of uh, um, protest or or um, disappointment in 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 that decision and Then I remember being there the year that Laura Robson wore the rainbow head hairband, which you referenced a few days ago catherine and and you know that was a small moment but a, a small gesture but a big a big moment really and and it created an enormous amount of publicity as, as you talked about at the time so from from there that first year that I was there when it was named to Laura to now that does feel like a big jump to me into so, but I also understand that that I'm not the one that, that has has at every stage got to face this or has had to face this at every turn and, and, and I want to understand and it's 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 just really helpful to hear these
1: sort of stories mm, absolutely same and that's why I wanted to read it out and I think, I think yeah today was progress and it was really positive and it's important to celebrate that and not be down on it just because it's not you know perfect progress but equally I think we need not to be complacent mm. and not all just pat ourselves on the back for for wearing some wristbands. As much as I'm delighted with the wristbands, because you know, tennis has a problem. There not being any openly gay male players is a is a problem. And I often think about the the gay male players that there definitely are, and how awful that must be for them. Um, so yeah, progress. Progress, not perfection, as a as a tennis player might say in a very boring press conference. Um, Just while we're, just while we're covering off sort of politics, non forehands and backhand stuff. um, There's been a story today um, uh, where a a video was released by somebody that tried to attend the tennis or had attended the tennis and security, this was on Friday actually, and security staff had asked them um, to remove their T-shirts, which said, where is Peng Shuai? Um, and uh, they also had a banner that was was confiscated by them. Um, uh, Tennis Australia released a statement um, saying Peng Shuai's safety remains their primary concern, but they defended their decision um, to confiscate uh, those items. They said, under our ticket conditions of entry, we don't allow clothing banners or signs that are commercial or political, um, and this is something that Martina Navratilova has um, most notably spoken out about. It about she says that's just pathetic, um, and she points out you know the strong stance that WTA are taking on the issue with uh, of Peng Shuai. Um, it's something that uh, several players were asked about in their press conferences today. In particular, Lise Cornet. Um, who was the first, I think, tennis player to to tweet where is Peng Shuai. Um, it's so difficult, isn't it? This is such a tricky situation. I've been thinking about it all day. Ultimately, I think m- muddying around in the murky waters of trying to define what is political or not is so futile and actually quite silly because... Life is politics, isn't it? Politics is life. People will have slightly different definitions of what is politics and what isn't. You know, lots of people think taking the knee is political. There are people that would think us wearing rainbow wristbands today was political. I mean, I don't think either of those are particularly political other than that in the general definition of sort of everything is political because, as I say, politics is life, life is politics, sport is life. <laughs> um, you know, it, uh, trying to define what is and isn't is pointless. So maybe rather than policing what is and isn't on people's T-shirts, I, I can understand the, the, the desire to have something in your rules that prevents gatherings and protests. I can see why that is important. So maybe it should be about the nature of, of uh of the the protest you know Mm. large numbers banners that sort of thing i think what people say on their t-shirt
3: i think it's ridiculous to be honest and I, i i i was disappointed that tennis australia kept so quiet when Peng shui's whereabouts and they're okay we may more or less know that she's physically okay but we we don't know that she's properly free and safe at all um but i was really disappointed that they said nothing at the time in in terms of speaking up and against what was what was happening apparently um but i kind of understood it from a certain lens because of their their vested interest in in China and them being the grand slam of Asia Pacific I get that I don't get this I think this is ridiculous and yes I understand you don't want to ins- have incitement and uh, or as you say public order issues based on protests within their grounds those things I would understand this come on
1: mm. yeah and I think I think sort of a statement uh, falling back on you know Pointing to the area of the rules that says, you know, we don't allow T-shirts with with commercial, commercial stuff on. I mean, doesn't every T-shirt have a logo on it? I mean, that that seemed anyway. anyway, agreed. I think we're all in agreement there. Let's talk about tennis, shall we? Where would we all like to start? Would we like to go chronologically? Would we like to start with our highlight of the day? Matt and I have just watched pretty much all of... Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas against Taylor Fritz. The five-set Rod Laver arena epic. Matt saw more of it in the flesh than I did because I had a bit of a drama trying to acquire some chips. Um, But in the (laughs) end... Did you? you? We had chips and a five-set epic. Oh, well. It's possible that someone spat in in the chips because of the drama... (laughs) That preceded preceded my acquiring them. Catherine uh, left
2: me for half an hour, and in that time, there was a whole saga mm. that took place that just doesn't happen when I'm around.
1: No, I I, I behave when Matt's there. <laughs> I was going to say it doesn't
3: completely surprise me that that's.
1: <laughs> anyway, Matt was delighted when I showed up with chips, so you can pipe down. And mm. it was a it was a blooming good match to have have snacks for wasn't it
2: it was a very good match there was a really good atmosphere on the Rod Laver arena I think we've been a bit annoyed at some of the atmosphere that's been generated at this tournament with all the suing that's been going on But tonight felt like a really proper tennis atmosphere generated by a lot of the Greek fans in there supporting Tsitsipas. And actually, I really think they helped him tonight. I think they energised him and helped him battle through because I don't think he was playing his best tennis. I don't think Tsitsipas is... Particularly close, actually, considering the brilliant stuff we've seen from him in the past. He's playing well, but he's not playing his absolute best. He is He's having to fight his game. He's having to search for it. And he displayed an awful lot of character tonight to mm. fight through this match against Fritz, who I think was pretty much playing exactly the tennis he wanted to play. It was pretty much pretty much a peaking Taylor Fritz and a battling Sitsipas hanging on and i think the key statistic is that Sitsipas took 3 of his 5 break points and broke you know seemed to break in all the games where he had opportunities whereas Fritz created way more opportunities but didn't capitalize on them and wasn't able to shake off Sitsipas um and, as I said, Sitzer Pass battled through, fought hard, and I was I was really, really impressed with him. Mm,
1: and crestfallen for Taylor Fritz, who cut a, a very sorry sight as he left the court. I don't think he choked. I, but equally, I do think the experience told for Sittter Pass in the end there, there were just a couple of hesitant volleys from, from Taylor Fritz and maybe one double fault in the game that he, he got broken. Um, but I think he had it on the tennis Taylor Fritz. Actually, I really do. I think the crowd helps it to pass immensely. I think perhaps Taylor Fritz didn't love being the, the crowd being, being so much against him and, and that'll all be experience for him. Um, I think, you know, in the grander scheme of things, tonight is only good news for Taylor Fritz. I really do think he's shown us something we haven't seen before in a grand slam, and I think he can build on this. But in the moment, it's going to be gutting because on the tennis, I think he probably should have taken it. It was gorgeous tennis, really great point construction from, from Taylor Fritz tonight. Good rally tolerance, you know, he wasn't trying to bail out and pull the trigger too early and, and go for highlight real highlight real shots, which um, maybe has a bit particularly on the forehand side in the past. I was so impressed with him and I'm, I'm, I'm gutted for him really. And I, what struck me, I don't want to be harsh on Sitsipas because I, I was ultimately so impressed with his fight and his, his desire and his tenacity tonight. I really was. But what really struck me was looking at two players, one, who's improved immensely and sits a pass who maybe is the same player he was a year or two ago. I don't know. He, he might just not have found his full form this tournament. He, he might be troubled by that elbow. Um, although it seemed to be okay tonight, certainly his service speeds were fine, but maybe that's not a fair comparison, but one of those two players was so improved. Um, mm. Obviously, coming from a, a, a starting point further behind and I don't know don't know how much Sitzabas has improved, you know, since well, since he I think ago. maybe
3: I mean he he was talking about the relief that his elbow doesn't hurt. And and it obviously had been hurting in the past before he had the surgery. And he spoke to Tim Hemman, who's had elbow surgeries in the Eurosport interview. And and that was the overriding impression he gave was just of somebody who's relieved that the elbow doesn't hurt anymore. But I think what's what what it has done is probably hampered his progress because if you're if you've had six months of not of being in pain, you're probably not going to improve in that time. And then what the surgery will have done is taken something out of his off-season. So it'll have been about getting back to full fitness rather than making incremental improvements, I think. And and he found a way to win tonight. And looking at the stats, I mean, they go with your impression of the tennis you saw, which is certainly my impression too. 15 break points for Taylor Fritz to five of Sitsapas. That is... That is grim reading for Taylor Fritz because he should have won that match and he knew it as he walked off that court shaking his head. He knew it. He should have won that match in his mind. Took two out of 15. Um, I I hope for his sake he he can use that to to get it right next time. It can go either way, can't it? But just uh, tactically, I thought... Quite interesting that Sitsipas threw in a load of slice today, mm. mixing so it up, much. and also a lot of uh, short arm jab, flat backhands down the line, just to change it up. Things that I don't really associate with him. It's all the flourish in the past. I I would like to think that that's uh, a, a, maybe not an improvement because it doesn't look quite right yet, but it's an open mindedness to to trying to improve.
1: E- yeah, my, my feeling was, in principle, this is good. That is something you need to develop in your game. But at the moment, it's not very good.
2: <laughs> it was sort of the ultimate compliment to both of them because Fritz, I think, forced Sitsipas to change his game a little bit. And Sitsipas responded by doing it. You know, they, they sort of both did what they should do out there. And yes, Sitsipas his slice should be better than it is, I think, can get better than it is. But it wasn't wasn't always ineffective tonight. I, I, and I think just the fact that he was using it was kind of a positive. I, I do find Sitsipas's current place in tennis quite interesting and what you're saying there about Fritz being one who's improving. We're also seeing you know Alcaraz improving at a very fast rate. We're seeing Yannick Sinner improve at a very fast rate. Sitsipas has had a couple of years now where he's been the young guy knocking on the door and now there are other people knocking on his door, knocking on Medvedev's door, knocking on Djokovic's door. It's an interesting place Sitsipas mm. finds himself in. Now, I think he's, he's often been assumed to be the sort of next in line to get the major. and
1: By people making big Greek predictions.
2: By, pe- by people who are forced to make predictions every week. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: And actually, maybe, it, you know, maybe maybe that is going to change him a little bit. He was asked in the post-match interview on court by by, by a slightly nervous Sam Groth. Um, the question was, Stefanos, you've been flying really under the radar this tournament. No one's really talking about you. Do you how how are you finding that? And I don't think pass liked that. Very much. I think he very much wants to be on top of the radar.
2: The star of the Netflix as show. As
1: evidenced by, you know, how proudly he told everybody that he was part of the Netflix show. And I knew about the Netflix before you knew about the Netflix. You know, under the radar, I don't think is where Sit to Pass wants to be.
3: I mean, my sense when I listen to him is that he just doesn't think like everybody else and he, he, he doesn't even know what's going on from one point to the next in terms of what the score is. So I don't, I don't trust that he knows where, where he is on the radar, to be quite <laughs> honest. I don't think he, he's in his own little world half the time, isn't he? I mean, uh, bless him, but I don't know what he's banging on about half the time. So, you know, I love watching him play tennis and he seems to be a really nice lad, but. I don't sense that he's got any idea where the radar is.
1: <laughs> Who's the favourite when he takes on Yannick Sinner in two days' time? M- m- Ooh, Matt and I, question. Matt and I, when we were watching, I think we were midway through the fifth set, Fritz hadn't been broken yet. It was nip and tuck. Um, Matt said to me...
2: I made an unsolicited prediction. Made an I? unsolicited prediction, mm.
1: which I'm now going to disclose to all our listeners. Matt said, I think Sinner will beat either of them.
3: Well, yes. S- sinner looks like the uh, sinner looks like the stone cold killer right now. In I don't I know, it sounds a bit gory, but you know, just in t- in tennis terms, he looks like the ruthless. I'm just going to get the job done in three straight sets, mm. um, and it's not going to be particularly thrilling kind of player. And Sitsa looks like he's having to go through epics in order to stay stay afloat here. So I, I can I I think probably he is.
2: I was trying to figure out a way to describe what happened in the Sinner-Diminor match today. And then Sinner actually came up with the line which I thought said it all. Where he said, I went into my confidence, which was quite a interesting expression. And I think basically what he meant was that first set was tight. It really was. Diminor was probably the better player in it, actually. And... Sinner was the one having to get through tight games. And yet as soon as it got to the tie break, Dimonor's game broke down a bit and Sinner's just went from strength to strength. And then second and third sets he he rolled through and he has an ability to accelerate onto shots that, I mean, Dimonor couldn't, couldn't handle it. And I'm not sure, uh, not quite a hundred percent pass will be able to fully live with it either. I mean, Honestly, he can apply so much pressure just by the strike he has on the ball. Um, I'm a little bit confused about whether he's already working with a super coach or whether he is claiming he wants to work with a super coach. All of these quotes have been in Italian, the ones I've seen, and it does sound like he's getting some extra advice other than from Piatti at the moment. And yeah, he- I, I agree. There's something something different about him, I think. I think he's... I think he'll win that quarterfinal. I've said it again.
1: God, (laughs) David, tell me why Sinner isn't boring. (laughs) Because I I I don't want to find him boring. I really want to be into it. I really do. I can see how his tennis, you know, can take your breath away and all of that. But I find myself zoning out. I find my mind wandering. I find myself not engaged. Help me.
3: Well, I mean he's winning too easily. That's that's why they're boring matches because he's brilliant. And um I don't think a procession is particularly exciting, but that's not his fault. And and I think that I think that you put him in a match a real contest and I think he has gasp-inducing tennis. His movements, his sort of side to side full throttle screech to a halt in a sort of skier-like manner. Um, and then go back the other way and hit these bullet drives. It's it'll be exciting when he's doing that against big time players. When he's when he's throwing that up against, well, Sitsipas being one. If he were to knock out Sitsipas, now, yes, I think that on on balance, I might go for Sinner to win that too. But that would still be a big upset uh, on paper, given what their history is in terms of this tournament. And then if he were to take that on and 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 throw it up against Medvedev. I mean that that's when it gets exciting because he has you know he's not going to bore these guys into submission in terms of his tennis. It's not going to kind of send them to sleep and them end up missing. He's going to be looking to take them out with every shot, and I find that I find that very exhilarating. I mean, look, he's a he's a quiet lad. He's poker-faced and he's very unassuming look about him. We know he can give more than that because we saw it at the Davis Cup and in, in Turin. but I don't want him to be what he isn't, and and I and I find I find his game exhilarating when he's up against the right kind of player for it to to make an occasion.
1: You seem already to have put Daniil Medvedev in the semi-finals, David. Are you writing off the chances of Felix or Gaël Yassim in the quarters? No, because um, that no, is who not. we will face.
3: No, I mean I think. Medvedev will go all the way. I mean that's that's what I said at the start of the tournament. I would say I'm i I'm less confident right now than I was at the start of the tournament of of him even me, making the final. Now that's a, a little bit from today, I think, and we'll get on to what Cressy pushed him to. But I think that the the fact that he took a set and he made it stressful and he got he got some of the worst of Daniel Medvedev and, and the best, depending on how you look at it, out of him. But what, what I think it showed is that Medvedev still has one or two vulnerabilities, and the other thing is, the other two that we've just described there, okay, Tsitsipas may, may not have made major strides in the last year, sort of eight months, say, since the French Open final, but the other two have. Felix Ogiali-Assim is coming, He's imp- that was a really good win for him today against Marin Cilic, showed Really good mental strength because Chilich was playing lights out twenty fourteen US Open tennis in the first set, and and it could have shocked um, it could have shocked Felix into into just disappearing, and instead he dug in. He really showed some metal in that match and used his own physicality and frankly just outlasted uh, Chilich. So. The the only real disappointment from Ojeda Sim this year so far was against Medvedev in the second set of that ATP Cup. Bear in mind he was with him for eight games and he beat Zverev, stood toe to toe with Zverev at the ATP Cup and beat him, and he's got himself through to this stage. So he's improving, and Sin is improving even more. So you know, I think that I think that I feel less confident that Medvedev will get there now. And also the pressure's all on him now. Everybody expects him to win this thing.
1: Interesting. See, I still feel very confident in Medvedev, despite what happened today, which was a, a four set win over Maxim Cressy. And by you know, by his own admission, Medvedev, he was in trouble today. He said that had he not won that fourth set, uh, I think he, he eventually broke Cressy's serve on his ninth breakpoint opportunity in that set. He said, had he not taken that set, given all the squandered opportunities, he would have been in, quote, tough mental shape. You know, they both knew that that he potentially had him in a fifth set. He was mentally on the ropes, and Cressy was disrupting Medvedev in all the ways. Um, But I, I do think that was quite a lot, down to Maxime Cressy, quite frankly. I really do think it was that, that match-up today, the the conditions today. Medvedev doesn't love the heat and it was hugely unpleasant at the time that they, they were playing. Uh, Maxime Cressy seems to be not bothered not to even notice any kind of weather conditions whatsoever. Medvedev was bothered by his court assignment. He's made... No secret to that. That's two matches in a row. He's been scheduled on the second court, um, and he spoke about that. Following a question from from Ben Rothenberg in the press conference afterwards, he said, "He said he had. He, he's he's not usually keen to make court requests. He was like, I don't want to be that guy that insists on playing on a certain court at a certain time. He said, once this tournament, he had asked to play on the Rod Laver Arena." Um, and he was like, I guess maybe I have to ask every time because it doesn't go without saying he didn't like the um, lack of space behind the baseline on the second court. He said it, you know, genuinely plays differently. And he was standing so far back to receive serve. We were we were laughing, Matt and I watching on the telly, just speculating about whether he was standing that far back in order to be in the shadow because of because of how hot it was. I and mean, he was he was barely on the screen. At times, but he, I think he was trying to dip the return just over the net to to get it at Maxime Cressy's feet. So I think there were a few factors in it today, and I'm not sure any of them will apply in his future ma- matches because Maxime Cressy won't be there. He's going to be on the Rod Laver Arena. I feel like, you know, he might have had his sort of mental wonder today, and it'll only only harden him. And you know, Medvedev said. Medvedev said it was down to Maxime Cressy. He was full of good things to say about Cressy. David, he, I, I asked him, you know, do Cressy's a, a confident and uh, ambitious guy? He thinks his game can get him top ten or even number one. Uh, I, I said, is that realistic? And I expected him to balk a little bit at number one because, um, you know, Medvedev's the next number one in waiting, surely. And he will hope and expect to be there for a long time, I'm sure. But Medvedev said, yep, I think that is realistic. You know, nothing's a given, but uh, he thought his game was very impressive and uh, he was impressed with his staying power and resilience and mental attitude. He, that he, he, he saw a lot that he liked today, Medvedev. He's been listening to you. David you
3: also saw a lot that he didn't like because it sent him a bit doolally and he admitted to having to resort basically to gamesmanship and talking out loud and um, and kind of just dissing the game of Cressy and saying how boring it was when he lost the third set Medvedev and he said I was I, I was getting stressed and I decided to, I thought maybe if I say these things out loud he will start to it will get in his head. I thought what an extraordinary admission um but that's that's what he said and no, I thought I thought Cressy impressed me when he when he hit those two blind in return winners I didn't really see those coming in that third set tie break. I thought it was going to be straight sets and actually he he wasn't far away from turning it around um but um yeah I I don't necessarily buy number one in the world for, for Maxime Cressy. I think he can be a top ten player with that game. But but that's that's as much as I'd be prepared to say at this point.
1: Shall I tell you what Tim Hemman thinks about Maxime Cressy, who is uh Tim Hemman is the harshest critic of volleying that I know. Um he, he's said on Amazon Prime before that he doesn't <laughs> doesn't rate Roger Federer's volleys too highly. Certainly yeah, I think relative to other players, he rates them highly. But, you know, relative to his era of volleying, not so highly. Anyway, Tim Hemman said, really enjoyed the match, two exclamation marks. And Tim's not, not you know, he's not a big punctuation guy. He said, think he, des- think he didn't serve the right spots at all against Medvedev, but fought very well. We'll enjoy watching more of him in the future. Volleys, seven out of ten. That's Praise good, indeed, actually, yeah. folks. Yeah. Praise it, it indeed. Yeah. So uh, coming to a top ten near you sometime soon. So Medvedev against Felix Auger-Aliassime, and Stefanos Tsitsipas against Yannick Sinner. It's a very, uh, it's a very next genny flavor, isn't it? In that half of the draw, it is actually, isn't mm. it? Mm. They're just the gen now.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free
1: dessert for life.
3: You heard it right.
1: So, what about the women's matches today? Goodness me, we've had some upsets. (laughs) We really have had some upsets today. Shall we start... With Elise Corne, who beat Simona Halep today six four three six six four, Elise Corne has reached her first Grand Slam quarterfinal in her sixty third Grand Slam appearance. That is just an extraordinary record, and absolutely a record that Elise Corne is and was aware of. This means everything to Elise cornet everything you've you've never seen joy like it in the press conference afterwards she she can't believe it really um and that the match was incredible played in the heat of the day the heat rule was enforced between sets two and three it was a great advert for the heat rule actually because I'm not sure anyone would have been been able to find the court in that third set had they not been able to go off for for presumably an ice bath. And Elise Corne summed it up perfectly herself, I think, in the post-match interview on court. She said, after half an hour, we were both dying on the court, but we carried on for two and a half hours with all our hearts. And my goodness me, did Elise Corne leave her heart out there, Matt.
2: Oh, I think this was one of my moments of the tournament, actually, so far, this match. Um, it was gruelling because neither player has what you would call a point-ending shot, really. They have to work the points. They have to move each other about the court. And in mid-30 degree heat, that was incredibly Demanding on them in all the ways—physically, mentally, emotionally—and Corne looked like she had it—a set and a break-up. And Halep was hunching over. I think I think a lot of people thought she had a leg injury because she kept clutching her leg. But she did she did confirm, impressed, that she was just exhausted. And then suddenly, Corne seemed to have no energy left, and Halep actually won the last sixteen points of the second set to take it into a third. And exactly as you said, then there was the the break and the third set was sort of nip and tuck the whole way. And, you know, the moment Cornet did it, she sunk to her knees, she took it all in. And, you know, I asked her in the press conference whether it was everything she hoped it would be, because sometimes you can build up a moment mm. like that. As you said, This is a great question. 63... Attempts she's had to reach a quarterfinals, so many near misses. She'd been to the fourth round at all of the slams, and, and, she,
1: and had had match points in the fourth round here thirteen years ago.
2: Yeah, so you know, was it everything she hoped it would be? God, yes, she said. Absolutely, it was. She, she she'd been crying happy tears in in the locker room afterwards. She and, said,
1: "I was crying in the ice bar." Yeah. <laughs>
2: And and just on that uh, fourth round, 13 years ago at Melbourne Park, 2009, I mean, this was another one of the moments of the tournament, one of the best moments of the tournament, actually, because that one, 2009, was against Denara Safina, and she had two match points, didn't take them, and she would have faced Jelena Dokic in the quarterfinal. And she said, that was a match I never got to play, And then suddenly once she won this one, she was in the quarterfinals for the first time and who was there to interview her but Yelena Dokic. And it was just this sort of perfect moment of paths crossing again and overlapping narratives, I suppose. And I thought what Corne did in that, on court interview firstly to find the words in english to put the achievement and the emotion into context um she said a, an incredible line that it, it's never too late to try again which sort of sums up her entire quest to try and reach a quarter final and then there was this moment where she, you know this was this was her moment this was all about her and yet she turned it back on dokic and just said how proud she was of Dokic for the career she's built post-tennis. Obviously, we know Dokic has had a really, really hard life in so many ways, particularly because of her abusive father. And they hugged it out, and it was just a lovely moment of real sort of empathy from from Cornet. It was, yeah, it was it, it was a really beautiful moment um, that, that she made about someone else other than just her, even though even though sort of it was her moment. I thought it was really classy from Corneille. And she's someone who's who's maybe not known for that quite so much. You know, we think of her, we think of drama. As she said herself, I'm a drama queen for the people. It's just another <laughs> epic
1: quote. i I'm getting a, a T-shirt made with that yeah. on. And it's not a political statement. It's, it's just, just a statement. Um,
2: but, yeah, she's also capable of great, great class and, you know, Get yourself someone who can do both. That's what we love to see.
1: She Matt and I stayed on for the, the French portion of her press conference, um, which was every bit as joyful as the, the English portion, and we learned that that good vibes in, in French is bon vibes. <laughs> and she said bon vibes a lot uh in in the French, which was just wonderful. I asked her um now that you know she talked about just that elusive quarterfinal being such a goal for her, and I said, you know, now you've now you've got that goal. What do you do? What's the next goal? Do you think you can win it? And I'm always wary of asking that sort of question, putting that final point on it, you know, like I did to Maxime Cressy, and I said, what, well, what, you know, is that what you think? Top ten? Because I always just expect them to shut it down, you know, and be defensive and just not want to, not wanting to commit themselves to anything really. But she said. The sky's the limit. I really want to be ambitious at this slam. For the first time of my life, I really believe I can go till the end. And for somebody that sort of semi-announced that this would be her last year on tour, now she hasn't committed to that and I do wonder if she'll change her mind. Um, that's pretty incredible, isn't it, for her to be saying, for the first time she thinks she could. Who knows if she will? I really don't know. She faces Danielle Collins in the next round in the quarterfinals who beat Elise Mertens today 4-6, 6-4, 6-4. Um, and Elise uh, Corne described Danielle Collins as sort of the only player more intense than her uh, <laughs> on a tennis court. She says she's like a lion, which is lovely. And that is going that's going to be my kind of match, David. It's going to be... Drama Queenie and possibly a bit of aggro, um, but sort of. Game, game meets game, kind of aggro.
3: Yeah, K- Catherine's going to be there before the players. She, you know, she's going to be she's going to be up before Matt
1: with, with all the T-shirt happen. on, A drama yeah. queen for the people T-shirt.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I I was thinking back. You know, I I was commentating on that Dockett's run to the quarterfinals in two thousand nine. I remember it ever so vividly because she had made this incredible comeback having, if you consider Dockage beat Martina Hingis at Wimbledon in 1999, you know, you're going back 10 years earlier and she completely retired. She was nowhere near tennis for years. And then she made this extraordinary run through to uh, to the uh, the quarterfinals that year. And has had some good wins along the way as well. Um, the crowd absolutely loved her. And I, I, I have this memory of, sitting at our desk giving, doing reports when a, a young woman came up on the screen in her in her press conference who I did not recognize, and that would have been a teenage Elise Corne. And I remember it vividly because I asked one of my French colleagues sitting to the side of me, who, who's that? And and he told me who it was, and and she went years without actually matching that achievement. You know, it was one of those where it was a breakout achievement, run to the fourth round, and then she would just kind of get caught in the first couple of rounds of tournaments thereafter. And it took her probably five or six years before she started to make an impact again. And she beat Serena Williams at Wimbledon. You know, she would get these amazing wins, but not be able to string them together and have a run. So and I, And then I ended up commentating on her quite a bit at b t sport when they had the women's tour rights and there was always a lot of people looking down the nose a little bit at eliza cornet and and because she irritates people because she's prepared to speak out because she doesn't hide it if she's annoyed if she's upset or if she's hurt. She lets everybody in the whole stadium know about it people People get wound up by this and and so she's got criticized a lot over the years but my word, is it fun to watch her. And this moment, I don't know, I, li- I like the fact that she is herself, no matter what anybody says. I'm going to be myself. And you mentioned earlier in the podcast, Catherine, she was the first one to speak out uh, when things had died down after the initial news broke about Peng Shui. She was the one who reminded everybody, don't forget about Peng Shui. She's the one who made us go and start looking into it again publicizing in ourselves and within a few days it was kicking off you know and she's the re- she's the reason for it and because she's not prepared to just go away quietly into the corner and do what everybody thinks she should do and she's done it again here she is in the quarterfinals brilliant
1: mm. and I think we all thought of she beat Garbini Muguruza second round that you know great moment incredible upset probably just you know exactly that a moment and an upset maybe she'd back it up and win one more, more i don't think any of us saw this coming speak
2: for yourself <laughs> 70 points in the newsletter says otherwise
3: <laughs> i had a chance of that matt didn't i because you you gave mm. me the one the choice before you and i went for dim oh
1: <laughs> anyway so we <we've> got collins <laughs> against Cornet, and a fantastic uh, press conference that Collins gave today we won't dwell on it because details on it in our newsletter today Danielle Collins talking about um, the impact that endometriosis was was having on her tennis career and the decision to have surgery last year and the fact that you know this is the first time she feels like she's ever had a proper pre-season block um, and she talked about how you know previously all training blocks had to be managed around her cycle, around her menstrual cycle, because her periods were that terrible and that painful. And it just, you know, new lease on life for her. And she spoke about it so openly and so brilliantly. And she's another person that's just unapologetically herself. And I love it and can't wait for, for Collins against Corne. And um, yeah, the, the the full exchange it was myself and Tamani Cariel from The Guardian and Simon Briggs, Matt's new doubles partner. They're playing they're playing doubles in about sort of eight hours time. Um it was it was the three of us in the press conference with uh, Daniel Collins and it was brilliant. So subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. Uh the other quarterfinal in that bottom half of the women's draw will be Iga Schwantek against Kaya Kanepi, who's completed her collection of Grand Slam quarterfinals. This was the only slam she hadn't been to the quarterfinals of because of course She's a specialist in Grand Slams. She is extraordinary, Kaia Um Matt and I didn't see much of either of these matches, David, because it coincided with um, some of Fritz and Pass which we were watching slash trying to obtain chips during. And uh, also with a, the Schwantec match coincided with a flurry of press conferences um that we wanted to get to. So over to you for your uh, your hot takes on these two <laughs> matches, please.
3: Well, first, uh, Svantec, I was most amused with the uh, the surveillance cameras backstage that showed her juggling three tennis balls up against a wall, just doing all sorts of tricks as she got ready for the match. And I thought that's a very eager Svantec thing to do and to be able to do. You just get the sense that she has this... Uh, the sorcery at her fingertips, and is able to do pretty much whatever she wants whenever she wants. But she had her hands full today because Castella came out blazing, and she's another one a little bit like Elise Cornet, you know, a l- little later in her career now, and getting the best out of the of whatever's left. And she was knocking Sviantek off the court, um, and it took everything really that the the poll could find in her game to turn it around. And she re- she had to dig in. She did that. She found the shots, and she looks really good. She she sort of won going away by the end. Um, the the Kanepi Sabalenka match. Well, it was just a real disappointment that it was shunted out onto the second court uh, uh, as a as a victim of the schedulers because it got stuck on scheduled after the Diminor match and then the Sitsabas match, which meant that when those when the schedule started to go long. It was either they're playing after midnight on a deserted probably Rod Laver arena or they're playing on a, a second court which has also got nobody in it because nobody was expecting a match to be taking place over there. And and it's just that that sort of thing has just got our go to all tournament long and it has been doing for years. And, I mean, occasionally people say, well, what, what else can they do? You know, they've got these great matches. Well, when was the last time? You can remember the men's match being shoved out onto to the second court because a great women's match is going out on because it was scheduled at prime time it's it doesn't happen and um and it's really frustrating but anyway it's so it's played in empty stadium they David's went
1: out for me
3: well there you go thank you so I'm, delighted. I'm delighted i'm um, delighted David they went you. at it. They went at it head-to-head, these two, and they were knocking lumps out of each other. I, I actually haven't got the stats for, for Sabalenka to know what what the double fault count was like, um, to be quite honest. But the, the match itself was, I mean, it was just full of nerves because, you know, uh, Kenepi was leading. She had her chances. I thought she'd let it slip. And she does, she has tended when she's got these great opportunities, you know, she's she's great in the first round, knocking out a big name, but... When you then expect her to take the next step and go all the way, she's she's always come up a little bit short. But there was a great moment in the in the third set tiebreak where, I mean, I, honestly, I'm watching it and I'm thinking seven six match point, and of course it isn't because it's the f- final set tiebreak, um, and uh, and she did exactly the same thing and she thought she'd won the match <laughs> and she goes and then she just goes oh. F- <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so that has to do it all again, and uh, uh, if you can find that GIF, uh, get on it. I would say, um, but anyway, I think she was a worthy winner in the end, and uh, and yeah, another great little story for her. I mean, mm. it might might not make big global waves. There are other bigger stories than Kaya Kanepi, but for her, that is a massive moment, and uh, and she, you could see it all over her face in the interview afterwards.
2: You get lots of great stories in, in slams, don't you? But there's something I think really interesting about players, you know, finally accomplishing something. And we had that with Cornet today. We had it with Kanepi finally competing her set of Grand Slam quarterfinals. They're really satisfying stories mm. when something like that happens. You know, we love breakthroughs. We love young players coming out, but there's also a lot of, a lot of great stories about players who've given a lot to tennis over the years and persisted and just chipped away and, you know, have filled up drawers and provided us with moments. And it's it's nice when they get, you know, some some of the spotlight as well.
1: It's never too late to try again, folks. That's exactly. what we've learned from today. Two T-shirts, um, and it probably <laughs> it probably makes Samantha Hallett feel better about losing because she can think, well, I'd only have lost to Kenepi any anyway. She's she's always losing to Kenepi in slams, isn't she? Um, right then, I think that's it for day eight. Um, it's been so jam packed this episode that I haven't had the opportunity to tell you, David, and the listeners uh, about my, my absolute Wordle triumph today.
3: I don't even mm. know what Wordle is, to be honest.
1: Uh, I mean, I have been... Buzzing all day. Honestly, it's the biggest endorphin hit I've had in two years. (laughs) It was immense. It started my day off such a pep in my step. Um, So much of a pep in my step that I ended up getting into NFL, David. It's been a really big day. Um, Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Yeah, we don't have time to talk about it, though. But (laughs) slate it for a later date.
2: But we do want to say shout out to Andrew who Mm. does our... Twitter during the Australian Open during the day sessions. Big Buffalo
1: Bills fan. Mm, as am I now. As
2: as I, am I, I as I feel, is Catherine. I really
1: think I feel I, I've been a Bills fan for a hundred percent of my of my NFL well, supporting I mean, life. Same and I really to be I feel all of your pain. Hashtag Bills Mafia. Yeah.
2: We love you, Andrew. And that mm. was that was brutal.
1: Mm. It was mm. definitely time for a real amazing,
3: change. amazing sport,
2: wasn't it? Yes. Um,
1: sport is brilliant. Mm. Right then. Uh, also, quick shout out for Scott Fleming, who had his official shout out the other day. But today, he brought Matt and me fudge at our desk, oh. homemade fudge. Amazing, amazing. Scott
2: S-S-Scott works uh, for Hawkeye, and he lives in Scotland. I found out, and is now on the road for months. You know, after this, he's going to the Middle East, and then onto the European clay and everything. And yeah, he. Um, Bumped into me and said, Oh, I'm really glad I saw you. I've
1: got a gift. I've got, got I've got an and entire bag full of fudge for you yeah what would he have done if he hadn't bumped into you <laughs> just wandered around for the rest of the tournament with a bag full of fudge but it's
2: delicious delicious we've, we've thank some. you
1: thank you scott you're fueling fueling our evening uh we have all the usual suspects charlie our australian open mascot love charlie uh love billy jean obviously as do billy jean king and alana Kloss. uh david has darwin matt has Gerald the Cat. Don't Nick smugged at Matt. Uh, I've got Carter. Uh, Chris Albert-Lee, Carl Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. And Matt, we have some shout-outs.
2: We have Gail Nell from Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Nell. A bit like the Wordle word today.
3: <laughs> right. And, mm. uh, and Gail Monfils will be trying to do you proud tomorrow. hmm
2: Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Although this is Gail AI rather than AE, but Well It sounds It's all in the clothes. it's
1: like Catherine's with a K. Thank you, Gail. Very much indeed.
2: We also have Stacy Meadows from Dallas, Texas.
1: Oh, lovely. Like Jenny Meadows, mm. the, the runner. Stacy won't know who that is. Anyway. I,
3: I wonder if Stacy's a Dallas Cowboys fan. They they um they had a bit of a bad time in the playoffs. that
1: That was before i was an nfl fan david (laughs) (laughs)
2: but thanks for your support thank you stacy and finally we have margaret sutherland who says she's lived in glasgow for 50 years she's originally from westport county mayo in ireland and get this she says i lost my sight 25 years ago And I love the tennis pictures that you paint on the podcast.
3: Oh, Oh, that's lovely. You've got to prepare us for
1: this stuff, Matt. It's 2.33am. I'm tired and emotional anyway. (laughs) That's really lovely. Um, Margaret is my mum's middle name. And Sutherland is like Kiefer Sutherland or Donald Mm. Sutherland. And Mm. it is
3: our absolute pleasure and privilege to be able to, well hopefully help you enjoy the tennis. Thank you so much. Mm,
1: Thank you, Margaret. That's really great. Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be doing this all again tomorrow when we'll be reviewing our first day quarterfinals, Krachikovicis, followed by Shapovalov Nadal, then Night Session, Barty Pagula, and then Monfils Berrettini. It's going to be good, folks. We'll be talking about it all on tomorrow's Day 9 Tennis Podcast. Subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. You can still become a friend of the pod. Get yourself an intro. Get yourself a shout-out. Uh, and we'll speak to you tomorrow.
0: Small details are big surfaces? Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured, or tall? Whatever your next project...